to express yourself where teens talk and the world listens presented by star style productions as an international outreach program of be the star you are charity you'll rock to an hour of adolescent fusion with your teen hosts and on-air reporters meet and chat with cool celebrities exhilarating experts and tenacious teens with subjects regarding anything and everything that you want to know it's time to kick off the fun with our star teens welcome to express yourself Let nature be your teacher, William Wordsworth. Hello and welcome to Express Yourself. We're a program by, for, and with creative young people. A platform to give teens a voice, right here on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. From Cynthia Bryan, creator and producer of Express Yourself, and Star Style Productions, we bring this program to the airwaves as an outreach service of the Be The Star You Are charity, a top nonprofit honored by GuideStar and great nonprofits. I'm Arjun Clare. Before we get into today's show, that is all about climate change. Be The Star You Are's volunteers and I want to urge you to check out our website at btsya.org. As part of our Be The Star You Are Disaster Relief Outreach Program, Be The Star You Are has collaborated with the Authors Guild to showcase, to showcase the new books launched by many authors from around the country in a variety of genres. For the next few months, make sure you are tuned in to both Star Style, Be The Star You Are, on Wednesdays at 4 p.m. Pacific Time for Wednesdays with Writers and Express Yourself, airing on Sundays at 3 p.m. Pacific Time for Super Smart Sundays, both broadcasting right here on the Voice America Network, Empowerment Channel, to learn about these incredible authors and books. For this segment, I'm going to be reading a chapter from the book, Be The Star You Are, Millennials to Boomers, Celebrating Gifts of Positive Voices in a Changing Digital World. You can find the book available at www.starstylestore.net. The Gift of Nature by Cynthia Bryan. Cynthia Bryan is a New York Times bestselling author of several books, a TV and radio personality and producer, a lecturer and enrichment coach specializing in acting, media, writing, speaking, and life success. Cynthia is the founder and executive director of Be The Star You Are, 501c3, empowering women, families, and youth through increased literacy, improved positive media messages, and skills for living. She writes for magazines, newspapers, and online sites. As a joyful baby boomer, she's honored to have mentored thousands of millennials, including her own two children. In her spare time, Cynthia can be found working in her garden or playing with her barnyard of adopted animals. Why are we not listening? Mother Nature has been giving us plenty of warning of the dangers to come if humans don't alter their habits. Yet, our ears are plugged. Climate change is happening, and many people choose to look the other way. Are we in denial about our shifting weather patterns? Over the past few decades, our Earth has experienced unprecedented disasters, causing major loss of lives and billions of dollars in damage. Hurricanes, tsunamis, cyclones, tornadoes, 
mudslides, floods, fires, volcanic eruptions, earthquakes, typhoons, blizzards, droughts, heat waves, torrential rains, snowstorms, pestilence, and avalanches have all taken their toll. Despite the relief efforts of governments and organizations, displacement, disease, homelessness, famine, loss of hope, and death follow in the footsteps of these natural catastrophes. It's time to wake up and realize that humans are not in charge of the universe. Glaciers are melting, sea levels are rising, and global surface temperatures are growing increasingly warmer. The scientific consensus on climate change stands firm that we are in trouble. In advancing the science of climate change, released by the United States Research Council, it is obvious that climate change is changing, and these changes are in large part due to human activities. While much remains to be learned, the core phenomenon, scientific questions, and hypotheses have been examined thoroughly and have stood firm in the face of serious scientific debate and careful evaluation of alternative explanations. The National Academy of Science of the United States of America agrees that climate change is, quote, largely irreversible, end quote. Humans may not be totally responsible for global warming. However, we must do our part to take action now. How can we slow the process? Well, for starters, we can begin appreciating the gift of nature and the power she possesses. As a farmer and a gardener, I've always been acutely aware that no matter how much I attempt to harness her strength through human endeavors, Mother Nature is always in charge. If my crops are plentiful, one heavy rain before harvest time could destroy a year's worth of effort. A gathering of gophers or a herd of hungry deer can eradicate an entire rose garden within days. A swarm of aphids will demolish a vegetable patch, sucking the vitality out of every plant. An extended drought kills livestock and plants. My farm is just a pin mark on the world map, but it illustrates the importance of listening to nature and being ready to flow with the river. A term that is thrown around consistently is living an organic and natural lifestyle. To be called organic, Crops need to be grown with fewer or no insecticides and pesticides, no synthetic fertilizers, and no genetically modified substances. Animals must be fed organic feed using the above criteria for growing the food and raised without antibiotics or drugs. Food marked organic cannot contain any artificial coloring, flavoring, preservatives, or other chemical ingredients. Many people confuse natural with organic. They are vastly different because there are no federal regulations surrounding slapping the word natural on packaging. To live in the natural world is to listen to the rhythm of the seasons and live according to the calls of nature. We must embrace economic and social sustainability if we are to survive as a species. We must encourage biological diversity and organic principles, and create a smaller carbon footprint. It's time to truly be green by recycling, repurposing, reusing, and reducing.
if we are to prevent the depletion of our resources. We have to stop greenwashing and believe in the viability and durability of our planet. Healthier communities will spur economic growth when greenhouse gases and emissions are eliminated. By establishing wildlife habitats, protecting our national parks and open spaces, growing as much of our own food as possible, eliminating waste, being energy efficient, making certain that our water supply isn't contaminated by industrial and agricultural pollutants, and curtailing building in areas that are or will be prone to calamity. We take a first step towards sustainability and living in concert with nature. The choices each individual makes every day contribute to the health or sickness of our earth. One of the most important things we can do for ourselves and for our children is to bring nature into our daily routines. Throughout evolutionary history, humans lived in harmony with nature. Unfortunately, today in our technological, speedy world, yesterday is too late mode. Most of our hours are spent indoors instead of outdoors. We are plugged in and tuned out. To combat this growing behavior, in Japan in the 1990s, the Japanese Ministry of Agricultural, Forestry, and Fisheries coined a term, Shinrin-yoku, which translates to forest bathing. The practice is rightfully gaining pop popularity in the United States because walking in nature with no particular destination or goal has been found to be a good medicine. Whether you are tromping through a jungle or strolling through a city park, meandering in a wooded, tree-filled location is good for you. Forest bathing reminds me of two famous quotes by two renowned naturalists. Henry David Thoreau wrote, quote, in wilderness is a preservation of the world, end quote. And John Muir instructed, quote, in every walk with nature, one receives far more than he seeks, end quote. By engaging all of the senses of sound, taste, smell, touch, and sight, connecting with the natural environment reduces stress, lowers blood pressure, declutters the mind, and leads to a deep feeling of relaxation. No one knows for certain what Mother Nature has planned for the human race in the next century. The 70-mile-wide, 2,500-mile-long path of totality that the eclipse traced for 90 minutes from the West Coast to the Atlantic Ocean in 2017 brought a calm and camaraderie to the nation. As citizens across the continent donned special glasses, the majesty and beauty of this rare occurrence was shared as a community and a country. The eclipse was an opportunity to feel the splendor and grandeur of the universe with total acknowledgement for our small place in the galaxy. Nature has always been and will always be in charge. We need to fully participate in helping her maintain order. We must be the change today if we are to coexist with nature tomorrow. And now here's an exercise. It's called retreat to nature. If humans are to survive and thrive, I have full confidence in this generation of millennials who are willing to tackle and solve the major issues that face the world. Released when oil, coal, or other fossil fuels are burned for energy, 
carbon dioxide is nature's biggest enemy. Of course, we need energy to power our cars, homes, computers, and smartphones. But we must embrace other methods. There are simple things we can do to reduce global warming and our carbon footprint while indulging in the tools that nature freely provides. If you even implement a couple of these strategies, our Earth will be much healthier. You, your children, grandchildren, and future generations of children will be the beneficiaries. One, you can power your home with solar or wind. Number two, you can plant a garden in a pot or a plot. Number three, you can compost and help eliminate waste. Number four, you can buy energy efficient appliances. Number five, get up, get out and smell the roses. Walk in nature daily. Number six, reduce water consumption. Number seven, advocate for clean air and water. Number eight, encourage kids to enjoy the woods. Number nine, do a digital detox. Unplug and go outdoors to marvel at nature's majesty. Number 10, study nature, love nature. Adopt the pace of nature. And lastly, number 11, contact politicians and tell them you care about climate change. Stop, look, listen. Mother Nature comes bearing noble gifts. Are we ready and willing to receive them? Are we ready to make the necessary alterations for survival? The planet we save will be our own. And this is an extremely important message. Climate change, as much as some people might not want to believe in it, is ravaging through the world. And in 50 years, there might not be a world left for us. Unfortunately, we are out of time for this segment. As a reminder, the newest establishment in the series, Be the Star You Are, Millennials to Boomers, celebrating gifts of positive voices in a changing digital world, is available now on www.starstylestores.net. If you're looking for a new book to read, especially during this time, consider picking up a copy. I'm Arjun Clare. Remember, your purchase benefits the Be The Star You Are 501c3 charity and this Express Yourself program as a donation. Check out youtube.com forward slash Be The Star You Are for our fun and informative Be The Star You Are videos on living, laughing, and learning. Visit us at www.bethestarur.org and check out past editions of our show at expressyourselfteenradio.com. Keep on listening to our conversation about, the, about climate change on Express Yourself after the break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. Are you a teen interested in becoming a radio personality? The Positive Message Outreach Program of Be The Star You Are Charity trains dedicated young people to be reporters and hosts on Express Yourself Teen Radio. Visit expressyourselfteenradio.com for information. That's expressyourselfteenradio.com. Don't forget to tune in to Express Yourself Tuesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Kids, where teens talk and the world listens. 
Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. listening to express yourself on the voice america kids channel where teens talk and the world listens express yourself is produced by star style productions llc as an international outreach program of be the star you are charity for more information about our show visit expressyourselfteenradio.com now back to our star teens thank you for staying with us here at express yourself on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We're here today with Mary DeMocker. Mary DeMocker is the co-founder and creative director of the Eugene chapter of 3350.org. She uses the arts to fight for a livable planet and is the author of The Parent's Guide to Climate Revolution, a hundred ways to build a fossil-free future, raise empowered kids, and still get a good night's sleep. Mary's writing on conscious parenting and climate activism has appeared in The Sun, EcoWatch, Mothering.com, Spirituality and Amp Health, Oregon Quarterly, The Oregonian, and Isle, Interdisciplinary Studies in Literature and Environment, a quarterly journal published by Oxford University Press. She lives in Eugene, Oregon. You can find out more at www.marydemocker.com. Hi, Mary. Hi, how are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you. Awesome. So, uh, as I can tell, you're obviously very knowledgeable in climate change, and I was hoping you could kind of help me today learn more about it, because I would like to say I know something, but not much. (laughs) Okay. I'll do my best. Okay. So, what exactly is climate change? What exactly is climate change? It is the heating of the planet that has become something that's dangerous to us because when you start heating the planet, you change the weather systems, you melt the polar ice caps and glaciers that are feeding streams that have been fed for thousands of years, and you raise the sea level, which threatens all kinds of things, but especially people on coastlines. It also means that we are changing the temperature of the ocean, which is causing all kinds of problems with fisheries and with, uh, with coral reefs, which are, you know, in the, when the temperature of the ocean rises, the acidification of the ocean is also spiking up, which means that, you know, oysters, coral reefs, anything with a shell is going to dissolve more easily. And those are the kind of things that are happening on the coral reefs, like the Great Barrier Reef down in Australia, where they're dissolving, they're impacted in ways that they haven't ever been impacted in the history of, you know, of our record keeping. So there are all these impacts. You know, I'm, prob- I'm sure you've probably heard of wildfires and droughts and the superstorms and you know, pests and diseases that used to be only in the southern parts of the world, you know, the warmer parts of the world, those diseases are starting to move northward because it's warmer now in the parts of the world that didn't used to be as hot as it is. 
So we're looking at multiple changes across multiple systems, whether it's in the oceans or whether it's in the storm systems or whether it's in sea level rise or in trees that are dying off and, you know, key parts of the world, where whether it's droughts that are happening and causing hunger, which then, you know, causes social unrest and more diseases. So it's, you know, I, I don't want to kind of overwhelm you with all this bad stuff that's happening, but it's important to be truthful at this time in history about what's really happening and about what our role is in that as humans, but also about what the solutions are. And that's kind of the exciting part that I like to talk a lot about is what we can do to reverse those changes, slow them down, prepare for them, and what that means for us as citizens, as people living on the planet right now, as people with political power and power in our cultures and in our neighborhoods and in our families and in our schools. How can we join this global effort that's underway now and has been for a while to cool the planet down, to reverse you know, the, the global warming crisis in all the ways that scientists are telling us we have at our disposal? Definitely. So... Why is all of this actually happening to our Earth? Like, what what is causing this to actually happen? To actually heat the planet? What's what's happening to heat the planet? Yeah. Well, I think the kind of the I'm not a scientist and I don't pretend to be, but I do have a basic understanding, and I'll try to communicate that, which is when you have too many greenhouse gases in our atmosphere. So we have, basically, we're, you know, we're kind of in a greenhouse, right? We're, in, we're in a, on a planet in outer space, and that planet is kind of covered with this, you know, this shield, if you want to call it. That's, you know, where our atmosphere and oxygen doesn't go flying out. But we have this atmosphere that is always being bombarded with sunlight and warmth, and it's really good because, we can have sunlight to live by. We have plants that can photosynthesize, and it's pleasant to be in most places in the world. So we want the sun coming in, but we don't want it to get the heat to get trapped. And usually a bunch of it bounces back out. I don't know the exact percentages, but it comes in and it goes out. So we're not keeping the heat trapped in you know, all the time, just adding and adding and adding. But... When you have greenhouse gases in the atmosphere, and those are things like methane and carbon, there's a whole bunch of greenhouse gases, but the main ones that we talk about are carbon and methane. Those are the two biggest ones, and they each trap heat. It's like they're little insulators. It's like we're putting out a blanket over the whole earth made of those things, and they are trapping the heat, and they're not allowing it to bounce back out into the atmosphere and for the Earth to maintain a stable temperature. It's just more and more and more accumulating in our atmosphere. And that's what is kicking into gear all of these changes that have been kicked into gear for several decades now and that have been measured by scientists in multiple ways that you can see you know, anywhere in any any you know, valid science textbook or many videos that record 
the glaciers that are melting and the you know the, the calving of glaciers out on you know on the poles where you're seeing massive breakoffs of these ice sheets and the and the important glacier systems all over the world. So that's something that you can see it. You know, even though you can't see these gases, you can see the impact of the gases, and you can see where we're headed because scientists that study these things know how to model forward. Okay, we've had this much heating up till now, but we have a lot more greenhouse gases going into the atmosphere, and they stay there for a long time. So it's not like we could just stop tomorrow morning creating the carbon and the methane. Those things are created by human. It's created by a lot of things. There are some natural processes, but the thing that's causing the Earth's atmosphere to go out of balance at this point is that humans are putting in way too much pollution in the form of greenhouse gases, in the form of methane and carbon. So those things are getting way too much out in the atmosphere that's causing this kind of blanket of those gases, and it's trapping the heat. And those, you know, the methane and the, and the carbon are made up largely of human uh, activities. They're from human activities, so burning coal burning uh, oil, burning gas, and then drilling for those things, and specifically um, fracked gas, that releases huge amounts of methane, a greenhouse gas, into the atmosphere. So what we're looking at now is a lot of people are saying, well, we're going to get off of fossil fuels. We're going to get off of at least coal and you know, oil, those are really dirty energy. They're polluting our air. They're polluting our lungs. They're heating the planet. They're causing all this disruption in the natural system. So we'll switch to, you know, quote, natural gas, which is largely fracked gas. But that is just a different, a different form of the same problem, which is putting greenhouse gases into the atmosphere. So natural, quote, natural gas isn't natural really at this point because we're cracking open the earth to get these deep pockets of gas, which you can't see, you can't smell, they're invisible, and they're easy to have escape in the process of drilling, you know, deep into the earth and cracking it open. And there are thousands of these wells all over the world at this point, and especially in the, you know, in the U.S., in the West. And each one is leaking to some degree. You can't stop the leaking of methane if you're going to be drilling for natural gas. So that's one of the really big misconceptions people have now as we're, as we're talking more about, okay, we got to get off fossil fuels, we have to get off of coal, we have to change off of oil. Well, let's jump to natural, quote, natural gas. And a lot of people have really been confused about this for several years, and we really, I want to make really clear that, you know, quote, natural gas is not any cleaner in the, in the long run than oil and, and coal in the long run because methane escapes no matter how you cut it. You're going to have leakage, and it goes straight up and into the atmosphere where it heats at a higher level than carbon dioxide does. It doesn't stay in the atmosphere for as long. Carbon dioxide stays in for 80 or 100, 80 or 100 years. But while it's up there, the methane, for those 20 years or so, it's heating much at a much higher rate. So they're kind of, you know, they're kind of different versions of the same thing. One stays in longer and the other heats more and, and then, you know, 
comes out of the atmosphere more quickly. But we have to really look at having a different conversation at this point, not about which fossil fuel is better, but about getting off of them completely because that's what the science demands at this point. The scientists are robust in their conclusions that we need to stop burning fossil fuels. We need to slash emissions by nearly in half by about 2030, and we need to replant like crazy so we have more trees absorbing, you know, drawing down that carbon um, from the atmosphere because plants love carbon. So we have a lot of natural solutions to this crisis, and that's just one of them. That's just kind of a starting point is move to clean energy, plant trees like crazy. Wow. So even when we're trying to help, we could be making it worse. You mean by switching to to fracked gas? Yes. Is that the trying to help part? Yes. Yes, definitely. I, I think a lot of people, um, I mean, we have to be honest that the oil industry, the fossil fuel industry, wants people to be misled about the causes of the climate crisis and the solutions to the climate crisis. This is a very well-documented campaign that's been going on for a couple of decades where they understood that if we stopped burning fossil fuels, companies like Exxon and BP and Shell and, you know, there's, there's dozens of big carbon, you know, big carbon majors they're called, it would mean that they don't have a profit anymore. They can't keep selling their product. And so what they've done is they have um, done a, a, a brilliant disinformation campaign over the last 20 years misleading the public about the, the reality of the climate crisis and the causes of the climate crisis and the solutions for the climate crisis because the finger would be pointed straight at big oil. It would be straight at ExxonMobil and companies like that. That's one of the biggest ones. So they have had an ongoing campaign to put out junk science and to try to convince people that there wasn't really a problem and that, therefore, we didn't need to take any action. And if you don't have citizens demanding from their government that we deal with this crisis that we can watch happening around us and that it's going to imperil our actually, the very survivability of planet Earth, if you don't have people clamoring for those solutions, then you can, the oil industry can get laws passed that they want. They can keep on polluting. They can keep on making a profit. So I think we need to be really honest about the fact that people aren't just confused and it's not that all of the science is just so confusing. The truth is they have been confused by people who are trying to actively misinform. And if you actively misinform, then you end up with a Congress like we have, and you end up with a government that we have at the highest level, which is now denying the existence of the climate crisis right from the White House, and many of the members of Congress that have the most power are denying the basic science of, of, of the climate. And this is imperiling not just people down the line, my, my kids and, and my grandkids. This is imperiling you and me right now, because right now the Trump administration is locking, trying to lock us in to more pipelines, to more coal burning. He's all about, you know, he digs coal. He had that when he was, you know, campaigning for office. Trump digs coal. It's a famous a famous photograph, and we have to really look at that as a dangerous mentality and ask ourselves how we got here. And one of the ways we got here is we had people 
trying to tell us the science wasn't accurate. And that's, that's just something that we need to talk about as we talk about solutions, because one of the solutions that we need is to have accurate, up-to-date climate science everywhere from, you know, grade school through college. We need to have our Congress people understand climate science. We need to have the people representing us and making the laws understand climate science and accept it and be working towards a, a, a Green New Deal. We need to be throwing, you know, all kinds of policies and innovations at this because we don't have the time to mess around anymore. Wow. I had, I had no idea about any of this. Um, okay. And I know, before, <laughs> I know before you mentioned how we need to keep planting trees and vegetation and stuff, but what, what about, like, the, all the wildfires, like, in the Amazon and in Australia and stuff? Like, what is that doing to our world? Well, it's, it's what it does to our world, but it's also it's indicative of what's happening to our world. So you can't, you know, wildfires happen and actually are healthy in a lot of ecosystems for forest health over time. So the wild, wildfires in and of themselves don't have to be bad. But... When you have wildfires at that scale and intensity because you have drought for several years because the planet's heating, then that's indicative of a serious problem happening on a global level. So it's, it's related. It's all climate-related. You can talk to the people down in Australia who've been fighting fires, and they'll tell you, and they did tell people a lot over the fall and winter when they were just going crazy with those huge wildfires there, that this is unlike anything they've ever seen. And it comes, and, and yet, the chief firefighter down there went on record saying they were predicting this over the last couple of years, saying we are in an incredible drought. The planet is heating. We have to do something, or we're going to have devastating fires, devastating to wildlife, devastating to our communities, devastating to our economies, people dying in them, firefighters risking their lives. So I think, you know, let's just think of it maybe as a symptom, um, not a cause. It does contribute to, uh, to global warming in the sense that it's creating heat and it's, you know, polluting the atmosphere whenever you have an entire forest, you know, going up in flames. It's more pollution. But I think more than that, we have to look at fires as indicative of drought, indicative of trees dying here in Oregon where I live. I moved here 30 years ago, and this, this land is covered with Douglas firs. Well, Douglas firs need a lot of water, and this has you know, traditionally been kind of a rainforest here where I live in the northwest. Well, they're dying by the thousands. You, you can go anywhere in Oregon now, and you can see, you know, there's a few here, a few there, and sometimes there are whole swaths of trees just up in the mountains that are dead. Wow. That's indicative of that points to more wildfires in the future. Part of the reason trees are dying is not just drought, but they're also, if, if they're even a little bit stressed by drought, they're much more susceptible to, to beetles, to pests and such, but then move in and they're just easy prey, you know, they're easy kills. And we've had lots of, um, we have some land actually out on the country and we lost 50 trees one year to bark, bark beetles. And 
that's happening, you know, to a lot of people we know, and a lot of communities are seeing whole stands of trees going down, just turning brown and dying. So I think we need to just recognize all the ways that climate is, you know, can look and direct sometimes like, oh, there's this bark beetle infestation or this forest is drying up. Well, it's directly related to the global story of what's happening with our atmosphere. You know, the bleaching of the coral reefs. I don't know if you heard about that, you know, a couple of times over the last three or four years. It's been a huge portion of Australia's yeah. Great Barrier Reef has just turned white and essentially bleached, and they're dying. And that's so yeah. sometimes they can rebound, but there are a billion people that rely on the fish from that, that rely on those coral reefs worldwide. You know, we think about how much fish we all eat and shrimp and, you know, <laughs> your fish oils and your salmon dinners and think about all of the life cycles that are needed in order to create the world's food supply from the oceans. And it all leads back eventually to the coral reefs. Most life in the oceans has some connection to the coral reefs that now human activity is causing to die. So there are multiple right. systems that are collapsing at this point, whether it's salmon runs or you know, species of the monarch butterflies. You know, it's, it's, the, it's the insects are calling it the insect, you know, apocalypse. And that's not, not necessarily only climate. That's also related to intensive agriculture and all the chemicals that are being uh, put, you know, the insecticides and herbicides and fungicides. Those are all impacting insect populations, and we need, pollinators on this planet. We need it for our food system, and we're killing them off with this intensive commercial agriculture. So I don't want to be a downer. I mean, I can, I can kind of go on, but I think it might be more useful to uh, talk about, well, what can, we, what can we do about all of this? What is uh, this easy for, for people to get down, for, for them to feel hopeless, for them to feel like it's too big? And I think that's an important thing to talk about is when something is global, when something is scary, when something is happening fast and people aren't talking about it enough or it's invisible or you don't see it in your own community, but it's, you know, it's kind of creeping up on you in, in some way, what do we do? You know, what are we going to do to address something that in the natural world is, is essentially killing a lot of <laughs> species and collapsing rainforests and causing more droughts. And so I can launch into that if you want. Like, what, you know, what do we do? Yes, of course. Like, as humans, what really should we be doing to help fix this? Yes. Yeah. And there are a lot of things that people are doing. And one of the things that I think is important for, you know, for this radio program is to understand that there's a huge youth movement on a global level happening. It's not something anybody has to start because it's already electrified worldwide. And that's people like Greta Thunberg from the, you know, do you know her, the, um, the Swedish climate activist who's a teenager? Yes, I do. Yeah, it's hard not to know about Greta these days, right? Yeah. And it's, it's not just her. There are tons of children worldwide, but, you know, teenagers and, and middle schoolers and even elementary school people like the Sunrise Movement, have you heard of that group in the United States? I have not, no. So they're really powerful now. They have 
Um, they call them hubs, sunrise hubs, and I think they have almost 200 hubs in, I think they're in every state in the United States, and they're, they're youth-led climate activists and climate justice groups, and they're pretty much everywhere now, and they're growing exponentially, especially during this pandemic right now because they have um, a sunrise school. They have um, it's free, and it's you know basically what their goal is is to build um, a youth army to solve the climate crisis and create millions of jobs um, as part of that. And they're really pushing for the Green New Deal, which is um, something that have you have you heard of the Green New Deal yet? Uh, I can't say I have. No. Yeah, yeah, and that's fine. A lot of people haven't. So um, the Green New Deal is well, the New Deal is something that happened after uh, the Great Depression. And basically this is FDR coming in and saying, we are going to build our society and we're going to put people to work. And there were all kinds of programs where they had, you know, young people out, out building trails and national parks. They, they invested a lot in the infrastructure of the United States, and they invested in schools. They invested in, you know, creating uh, roads and all kinds of infrastructure and parks. And, um, I mean, I don't know the whole scope of everything. It was big. It was a big investment in programs that would build a society that, was, that would thrive, that would allow us to move out of the incredible poverty of the Great Depression. And big, you know, those kind of big sleeping programs ended up being a huge investment that then brought us into this prosperity that we're enjoying now in this country. You know, since, since the Great Depression and the World War II, there's been incredible investment in rebuilding of society that has brought us to be, you know, the superpower on the world stage and brought us to the highest standard of living anywhere on the planet, right? I mean, that's where we are at this point. The United States did some good policies, and the, and the New Deal was, was a big part of that. And what people are calling for now, and they have been for you know several years, is to recognize that if we're going to continue to be a superpower on the world stage, we need to be a clean superpower. We need to be the clean energy superpower. Because the future is in clean energy. The future is in addressing the climate crisis and getting ahead of it and using the technologies that we know work and using things like educating women. That's one of the proven ways to reduce global emissions because if you educate women and girls worldwide, then you're able to give them the tools to have smaller families. And, you know, population is an issue in climate because, obviously, the more people you have that are eating and consuming, especially in places like in the industrial nations where people tend to have a higher carbon footprint. So if you have reproductive freedom, if you have reproductive education, if you have literacy programs, women tend to be able to take more control of their reproductive lives and their family life and make better decisions for their own health for their family health, for their community's health. And this is well documented. So one of the top solutions for mitigating the climate crisis is to educate women and girls worldwide. Another top solution is food waste. Apparently, 
the more food we waste, the more it rots in the landfill, and the more methane it creates, which then goes up and causes more um, emissions and planetary heating. And those, it's not that hard to address food waste for the most part. There are programs in all kinds of places now that are actively working on, you know, it's called zero waste, uh, zero waste programs. And those, you know, there are a lot of models for that. Again, nobody has to invent the wheel. So just getting back to the, the Green New Deal and Sunrise, which is where this part of the conversation started, is that we need something like the New Deal, but for a green future, a green meaning of healthy, uh, clean energy future. And so the Green New Deal that a lot of people are talking about in the United States is a set of different policies that would build in the same way that the New Deal did, it would build back an infrastructure, like instead of investing in a lot of roads and fossil fuel, it would invest in bullet trains, you know, which can be zero, almost zero emission, much, much cleaner, much faster than the, a lot of the things we're doing now. I don't know about you, but when I need to go up to Seattle, the train would take me forever, you know, and they're often late. It would take me, I don't know, 12 hours. Whereas if I jump in my in my car, it's only five, so it's more convenient, it's safer, it's more fun if you can work all day on the you know on the train. But right now we have these really slow trains in the United States, and often people, you know, if you go to another country like Japan or China or or most places in Europe, they have really fast trains. They have beautiful train systems, and people in the United States right. don't even know what they're missing unless they go there or look online and see. Wow, if I if we had a bullet train, I could get from Seattle to Eugene, where I live, in an hour and a half, something like that. Yeah. You know, these yeah. are the technologies that already exist. So, a Green New Deal would put those technologies into place, and it would throw fossil fuels, you know, into our rearview mirror, which is where it belongs. Right? That's last century's dirty energy. We have the technologies. It's cheaper than ever to use wind. It's cheaper than ever to use solar. And that's even without government subsidies. Right now, the oil industry gets millions. I don't even know. I think on a global level, it's in the billions of of dollars of tax subsidies. We are paying the oil industry to produce its product, and that's why it's cheap. That's one of the reasons why it's so cheap. But at this point in the game... Wind power is cheaper than even natural gas. Solar has plummeted in cost over the last decade because so many people are switching to it. The technologies are better, and that's an important, an important piece in this whole thing is that that's without subsidies. So imagine a Green New Deal where we are pivoting those millions of dollars a year that we're giving, taxpayers are giving, to big oil and pivoting it into solar, pivoting it into geothermal, which is natural, you know, the, yeah. the underground heat, pivoting it to new wind farms, which are incredibly efficient in countless ways and much more affordable and much cleaner. And to move away from all of these fracked gas wells, to move away from trains carrying hundreds of cars of coal, move away from trains carrying crude oil that are, you know, explosive and polluting and stop trying to export 
liquefied natural gas over to China on these barges across on a, you know, on a, <laughs> it's this crazy pipeline that we're fighting here in Oregon that we've been fighting for 15 years, and their idea is to take invisible, odorless gas from the Rocky Mountains, condense it, put it in these pipelines, pipe it hundreds of miles to the Oregon coast near where I live, and then put it onto barges and, and send it across a choppy ocean to yeah, then be re-gas, um, you know, from liquid back into gas, and then put into a billion, you know, personal appliances throughout Asia. If you think yeah. of just the physics of that, just the, the logistics of getting an invisible gas from under the Rocky Mountains in the west of the United States and transport it all these ways, losing methane all along the way, every step of the way, you're going to lose, you know, those dangerous greenhouse gases up into the atmosphere so that we can provide people in Asia with, with cheap gas when they could be building more solar and more wind, which they are doing. But I think it's really important to let people know what's actually happening. That's what people are trying to do. That's what gas companies are trying to do. That's what the Trump administration is trying to do, is fast-track export pipelines to give Asia cheap gas and turn us into basically an oil state, a petrol state. And nobody... It's no benefit for us in Oregon to have a pipeline here. There's hardly any jobs that would be created long-term from it. So these are the things we need to be talking about. What's happening? Who's trying to push this on it, which is Trump at this point and, um, and the fossil fuel industry? But what is it we want? What kind of a future do we want? Most people want to be able to have clean skies, a lot of which you can see now in some of these big cities, right? Now that hardly anybody's flying. Very few right. people are driving compared to three months ago. And you're seeing all over the world people saying, I haven't even ever seen in my... You, know, you have young people saying, I've never seen the stars in Beijing or Calcutta. Right. Yeah. You have a glimpse into what it would look like to have clean energy. The canals in Venice are much clearer now. Wildlife is coming back. I can hear birds now that I never, like I never heard before, right here in my own town, walking around in our small city. I can hear birds like I never have. You have wildlife coming into, into parks that have never, you know, you've never seen before. So I think the exciting thing is that we can see that nature can rebound. We can see what happens when we just pull back the pollution. And imagine if we did that all over the world in a permanent way, if we permanently stopped buying fossil fuels and burning them, if we permanently shuttered at least some of the airlines and changed over to bullet trains, if we, if we went back to more sailing and high speed, you know, there are all, all kinds of ways to be transported, mostly bullet trains and electric cars and using the technologies that we have to slash our emissions. And another big way to slash emissions, which again would be put into something like a Green New Deal, which people are fighting for now, is reforestation. Right. Planting trees, you know, like I was mentioning earlier, it, it soaks they soak in, they suck in carbon. So that's it's like they're big scrubbers for the atmosphere. They're we don't need some big geoengineering technology. There's some pretty scary um, dramatic 
proposals out there, you know, like let's go to Mars or let's spray, you know, particulates into the atmosphere and, and try to make a shield between ourselves and the sun that are all untested, very high-tech, polluting in their own way and have a host of unknown dangers to them. But we have right. natural systems for cleaning the atmosphere, and they're called trees and plants and soil. The soil is an incredible ally if we treat it well for locking carbon into the earth. And one of the ways that people are finding, scientists are finding, is that if we change how we farm, we can stop putting so much carbon into the air. So every year when farmers till, you know, when they they, um, till their soil and turn it over, I didn't even know this until a few years ago, apparently that releases massive amounts of carbon into the atmosphere every time you turn the soil over. And I don't know about you, but every, you know, every, every time you drive on the highway, you'll see, you know, in the, in the summer, at the, end of, at the end of the year, they'll be turning over the soil to, you know, to harvest, and they'll be turning it over to plant in the spring. And that causes a, re- a massive release of carbon. So there's a new technology, a new system that's called no-till farming. And that's where right. you just inject the seeds and you don't turn it over at all. It's, it's starting to take off. It needs to take off more. Again, that's the kind of program that a Green New Deal could invest in to give farmers the education to, you know, to facilitate changing technologies, to facilitate sharing resources and best practices. So all of this requires big programs. It requires money. Right. It requires excitement and collaboration, and we don't have any of that at this point under the Trump administration. So that's just a little side, you know, discussion of the Green New Deal. And I want to say that the Sunrise Movement has made the Green New Deal their priority. So there are young people all over the U.S. who are learning about the Green New Deal on Sunrise Movement's free online uh, Sunrise School. They're teaching people to become better citizens and learn how to vote, how to get out the vote, how to advocate with your representative. So it's, it's a really good resource for people who want to jump in and get involved um, soon. But maybe I can mention a couple of other groups. Um, Zero Hour is a newish one, and that is uh, co-founded by Jamie Margolin. And she's okay. a wonderful young leader. She's got a book coming out called Youth to Power, um, that's coming out next week, guidebook for young people on, you know, how to be active on the issues that matter to them. She's a climate justice activist, but she's also a social justice activist, so it's all of it. Um, Greta Thunberg has a book out, just inspires a lot of people. Um, right. an, another person uh, is Barshini Prakash. She's been a wonderful leader. She's working now with... Um, Joe Biden's campaign to help them understand what young people are are wanting from the next president and how to engage young voters and engage climate voters. She's part of the Sunrise. She's one of the founders of the Sunrise movement. And so there's a lot of new um, energy in in the youth population because people are scared and. What's that? Sorry. Unfortunately, um, thank you so much for coming on. Unfortunately, we are out of time. Um, okay. 
listeners, make sure to check out Mary at www.marydemocra.com. Um, and audience, please support Be The Star You Are and find information on our creative community, charity efforts, and outreach programs on our main site at www.bethestarur.org. You have been listening to Express Yourself, an on-air global community where teens talk and the world listens. I'm Arjun Clare. As always, we give our thanks to Star Style Productions, Cynthia Bryan, Be The Star You Are, and a Voice America Empowerment Crew, especially our voice engineer, Josh. Thanks to our guests from across the world, and thank you to you, our listeners, for making us a top-rated program. Be present, be yourself, advocate for climate change, speak up, speak out, and express yourself. Thanks for joining us this week on Express Yourself, produced by Star Style Productions, LLC, as an international outreach program of Be The Star You Are charity. For more information about our show, be sure to visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific time, 3 p.m. Eastern, when teens talk and the world listens on the Voice America Kids channel. Until then, remember to express yourself. Stars to shine between the lines if you would let yourself